I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to the book of Psalms, where we will be in the 11th uh, chapter, the 11th Psalm in this book. If you're using a Bible provided for you there in the pew, it's on page 422, and it's a short psalm. Psalm 11, it says, In the Lord I take refuge. So how can you say to my soul, Flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds and the upright shall behold his face. And that concludes our reading for this morning. As we've seen, uh, each of these psalms expresses very honestly and openly the emotional life and circumstance of the author. And we don't always get the details of what are the events that are sort of bringing that about, but it is clear that we, we are regularly coming to somebody who's heart is wide open, and he was expressing uh, that heart and those thoughts and feelings and prayers uh, before God. There's no attempt at sort of suppressing them or ignoring them or denying them, but authentically expressing them before God, trusting that as the one who already knows all of those things, we have nothing to hide before him, not in our fears or anxieties, not in our worries, not uh, in our anger at times. And here, uh, David is crying out and starting off by saying to himself, in the Lord, he takes refuge. That in all the different experiences that uh, he's gone through in his day, he is taking refuge in God. He's resting and relying upon him for all of his needs. And he needs to tell himself that, just like we often need to remind ourselves at times of things we already believe. It's not new information uh, that is coming for him, but it's him saying again the things that he has known to be true and known to be true at different times in his life that he now needs to be reminded again in himself. And so there's, even in the word order, uh, an emphasis where there's an emphatic in the Lord is where I'm taking my refuge. He's reminding himself of who God is. And he's doing that for himself because what we read is now a couple of uh, phrases where we don't know for sure are these negative thoughts that David himself has uh, that's possible or is this some of it is advice he's getting from other people 
And the, the likely reality is that it's a combination of those things, right? That when we have a bad day, we have our own mind to wrestle with. And we have our own negative thoughts that come and we say things to ourselves. We've, we've had a sickness in our home most of this week. Uh, and so I tried not to shake too many hands before church started. And if I did shake your hand and now I'm telling you this and you want to go sanitize your hand, you can. I think I feel uh, good and thankfully at this point, Amy and I, uh, have maintained health, but our kids have not been good. And so at, at one point in the week as I was holding David, our youngest, and his body was just on fire with a fever and you just like, you know, it's like putting on a warm blanket, uh, holding him, you know, very naturally, he said what many of us think when we're feeling that way. And so he said, Dad, why does this always happen to me? And I wanted to say, it doesn't always happen to you. This is actually, you know, the first time in three years you're probably feeling this way, but no, that there's something about when you're feeling it, that you're feeling it. And you're then reminded of all the other times that you felt not well and were struggling. And so as often uh, as is the case, there's the voices around us and the advice we might be getting, but just as much those voices are inside our own head. And so I think there's reason to believe that this is happening in two directions, that David is wrestling in his own mind, but David also has advisors around him. And some of the advice that is coming to David is, David, this is a really dangerous and scary situation. We need to run. That's what he's saying. How can you say, flee like a bird to the mountain? So he's saying it, and other people are saying, we got to get out of here. Then... They're also warning them, we have to go quickly because there are enemies around us. The wicked have the bow ready. They've got the arrows prepared uh, to shoot in the dark. And so there's this sense of danger and vulnerability that are around them. And then even this sense that, and now, David, if that happens, like if, if you don't flee and they're waiting in the dark and the foundations are destroyed, then what can the righteous do? Like, what is it going to mean for all the rest of us if this goes the way we fear it might go? And so everything that's there described is not bad advice, right? There are times when we need to flee. It is true that there are enemies in this world. It is true that there are plans that, and schemes that are made by others that we need to be wise in how we think about and how we respond to them. And it is true that if the foundations are destroyed, uh, if, if leaders, um, and, and for David, he's king of a nation, like for, for a leader to be destroyed puts the nation at significant risk in a, in a vacuum of power and authority. And so there's this awareness that none of this is necessarily bad or wrong advice. But what David is doing in response to it is saying, but I'm not going to take any of it in this moment. In the Lord, I take refuge. And so how can you say, flee to the mountains or let the presence of the enemies ultimately cause you to leave and to run? So David is making a calculated choice in spite of all of those circumstances around him to say, in this situation, this is where I am, 
and I'm going to do whatever God is calling me to do in this moment. Because even in the midst of all that around me, I can experience the refuge of God for me here and now. If, if the, and there did come times in David's life where he did flee. But even in the fleeing, away from Saul and eventually away from Absalom, whether there or whether in the mountains, it's still the Lord that is our refuge ultimately in all of those circumstances. Our sense of security and provision needs to come from him no matter where we are or what advice we take in any given moment. And as much as we believe that, we need to regularly remind ourselves of that. Am I taking refuge right now in the circumstances uh, that I'm experiencing? Is my refuge really in my bank account? Is, is my refuge really in the health of my family? Is my refuge really in the friendships that I have? All of those are good things. They're not bad, but every one of us will regularly go through experiences where we have to say, is that where ultimately my refuge was? <laughs> or is my refuge in the Lord? And I experience that through other people and through other things, but it's still him ultimately that I trust. It's still ultimately him in whom I take shelter. And so all of us need to be reminded of the fact that we can take refuge in the Lord. And so then another thing that David reminds himself of is that in spite of all these challenges around him, the Lord is in his holy temple and the Lord's throne is in heaven, his eyes see. Uh, so part of what this psalm is revealing is, um, I think it's a, a, a phrase or a quote by Charles Spurgeon where he said, discernment is not the difference between knowing right and wrong. Real discernment is the difference between knowing right and almost right. There, there isn't anything wrong in the advice that's given, but David is fighting against it to say, but I am going to place my refuge and my hope in the Lord in this moment, and I'm not going to flee, I'm not going to run, because I believe not only is he with me, but that he is still in the seat of authority. He's in his holy temple. He's in heaven. And so this is even before the temple itself is built because it was actually a desire of David's heart to build the temple. So this, this temple is not referring to the temple in Jerusalem. Before it was even built, David's saying, I know exactly where God is, and he's in his holy temple. And he's always been in his holy temple. He's always been on his throne. He's never abdicated his position of authority in our lives. And so he's reminding himself of that goodness, that he is in his holy temple. And then both of those are, are fleshed out in a few ways, but in David reminding himself of that and looking at the circumstances he's going through, uh, you could uh, read James chapter 1 as a, as a good uh, sort of comparison with this, that David is saying, so these challenges that I'm going through, they are tests that are coming to me as life often includes tests but they are not temptations coming to me from a God who is indifferent or who is unholy. And that's what James walks through in chapter one. Don't, whenever we're tempted, say we're being tempted by God, like God is good and he's always good. He is not the one who is causing wickedness or trying to get us to do wicked things. He is in his holy temple. And so we might 
and regularly wrestle with, well, then, God, why does this happen? And why does this happen? And why? And the Psalms tell us it's okay to ask all of those questions, and we don't have to run from them. But there are times when in wrestling with those questions, we say, God, because we're asking these questions, part of what we're wondering is, are you really good? Are you really holy? Can we trust in you? And so David is saying again out loud, he is holy. He's in his holy temple. And so we are facing challenges and tests. But in as much as we ever face temptation to do something wrong, he's saying, no, don't, don't believe that's from God. God is never wanting you or me to do what is wrong or to respond with wickedness or to respond in sin. And so then that clarity just comes out through the rest of the psalm. God loves righteousness. He hates wickedness. He, uh, he is always and only for what is good and true and right. And he's in his holy temple. But there will be says the Lord is righteous in this psalm, but also that the Lord, verse 5, tests the righteous. And so though we believe in him, though we place our trust in him and our faith in him, none of us are given an exemption from the realities of life that test each and every one of us. And we see that even uh, played out in Jesus' life, and so I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 16, where this becomes even hard for the own disciples to understand there's this recognition of the uniqueness of who jesus is that he is in fact holy but therefore in their mind they want in his holiness that there be no testing that there be no suffering that there be no pain and so jesus walks them through these twin realities so matthew chapter 16 beginning in verse 13 this is on page 771 it says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Okay, so pause there. So this is pretty profound. The, the disciples are coming into this deeper understanding that he is the Holy One. He's the Messiah. He's come and brought the kingdom near. Now verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Again, we can pause. That's, this is a profound uh, back and forth. You are the Christ, so no, if you are, then these things can't and shouldn't happen to you. Jesus says, no, I am the Christ, and these things will happen, and they need to happen. 
that it, it's not that he's unholy, it's not that he's guilty, it's not that he's wrong. He is holy, he is innocent, he is the Christ who does what is good and right, and yet it needs to be that he goes through these things, so much that he rebukes Peter, and about as strong of a rebuke as can be given, to say, don't also resist this, don't try to prevent this. And then Jesus goes on to say, in verse 24, we'll keep reading, not only is this going to apply to him, but he says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul. And that's where we'll stop. So Jesus recognizes that he's going to go through a time of testing. That he's going to suffer and die and rise again for us. But he also makes clear to anyone who would follow after him that there will be testing that comes that way. Not temptation, not manipulation. Uh, God's not playing games with us. But in our full humanity, he will not exempt any of us from all of the challenges that life brings our way. And so we therefore need to regularly remind ourselves of who he is, that we can take refuge in him. And in those times when we begin to believe the lies of the enemy, that either this is our fault or all of this is our responsibility, and if only we would have done this, we never would have gone through that. There, there's times we can uh, assess things that way, but the truth of Scripture is that whatever we do, all of us will go through challenges. All of us will go through suffering. All of us will go through testing. And so we will wrestle with that reality to say, but God, I believe that you are in your holy temple, that you are good and that therefore this isn't a game and you can be trusted in and relied upon and so many times when we struggle with knowing exactly why things happen or the way they happen what we mainly can rest upon is what we believe about the nature and character of God to say in everything we don't know do we trust him enough to trust that he will always do what is right and just. He will never be misled or deceived. He will never be surprised in the darkness of night by an enemy. If we believe that, there's then an opportunity that we can rest in that. That he is the one who created us. That he's the one who loves us. That he is the one who then actually went through the experience of suffering for us. And that's part of how, again, we see his character. That though he did not and does not remove that suffering from our own lives, he willingly entered into this life to experience that suffering for us. And even when the voice of his own closest followers were like, no, you shouldn't do it. We should flee to the mountain. Don't you know what's going to happen if we go to Jerusalem? Don't you know? And he said, listen, you're not actually wrong, but you're wrong. You're almost right. I don't deserve it. I shouldn't go through it. But I'm going to go through it for each and every one of you. 
And so we experience and see then his, his level of love for us in a more unique and profound way. That's been the, the, the hymn of the week in our home this week, uh, the song, The Love of God. And this has been a great week for us to say the words of that song every single night in all of the different challenges that we've experienced and that people that we love so dearly have gone through in this week to remind ourselves the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and it reaches to the lowest hell. The second verse says, could we with ink the oceans fill and were the skies of parchment laid were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky the love of God how rich and pure how measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. The love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. And that's where then this psalm also ends in verse 7, this promise that if we hold on to the Lord as our refuge and that he is the Holy One in his temple, we hold on to the hope that the upright shall behold his face. Psalm 11 ends with the very promise of the final promise of all of Scripture. This is picked up by, uh, by John in Revelation chapter 22. This is the good news that we hold out as hope to the world. Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 4. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And then they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the good news, that we will behold the face of the Holy One who is enthroned in the heavens, that he will come and make fully and finally his dwelling place with us. For all of us, it doesn't take much for us to think of people who are no longer in our lives. And therefore, the ache that we have 
to see their face again. The longing of that. And the hope of Scripture is one to tell us that that longing comes from the way in which God made us the value that he has placed and endowed in each and every one of us as precious in his sight, as sacred. And that our longing to behold even the face of those whom we love here on this earth is an ache and a testimony to an even greater longing that we all have to behold his face. Not to have his back turned toward us, not to be uh, cowering in, in shame, or darkness, but to be face to face with the one who made us, with the one whose love is rich and pure and measureless and strong. This is good news that our world needs, that each and every one of us crave. And so even in sometimes our saddest and darkest moments, it is a reminder of just how much this good news is needed, that we have this hope that we need to remind ourselves of, but which we also need to tell other people of, because life is hard enough, isn't it, without it? For every challenge that we face in every circumstance, it it, it is one of those... uh, just humbling realities when I think of to go through some of the same things but not believe that we can take refuge in the Lord and not have an understanding that he is in his holy temple and not having an expectation that we would one day behold his face. The harvest is plentiful. There's so many people who still need to hear this good news. May we take up the glad responsibility of telling them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for your great love that in our understanding we like Peter and the other disciples we want to um, see to it that no amount of testing or suffering happens but that you reveal to us that in your love for us you were willing to suffer for us because we needed hope that transcends this grave we needed to see someone come back from the grave because everyone else we know does not and so we thank you for entering into our humanity for revealing to us the truth that gives us hope that each and every one of us can rely upon and rest in. Father, help us also to discern when in the challenges of life, when the voices in our own head and others around us are encouraging us to flee or to abandon. Father, we want to to be wise, we want to be discerning, but we also want to know when you are actually asking us to stay, to trust you in the midst of the storm, to trust you uh, when it, it doesn't always make sense, but believing that 
ultimately in laying down our life we find it that believing that when we let go of our selfish desires and serve other people that we find ourselves enriched in unique ways we thank you that your love for us is rich and pure that it is measureless and strong and we pray that through it you would ultimately hold each and every one of us fast Help us to acknowledge our hearts, our hurts, and help our hearts to be open before you. And trust that your love is so great that it can hear and receive all of the varied prayers and cries that we would bring to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.